What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam Solo today. I haven't done this in a while, but um, yeah, just flying solo. Matt uh, had a pretty pretty busy week. Uh, I believe he was uh, venturing into some uh, darkness retreat um, of some sort, so we'll get back to him. Uh, maybe he'll come out like two days early or something, but we'll get him back soon enough. Um, while in this darkness retreat, however... Madison Square Garden has become the place to be in not only New York, obviously, but maybe in all of the sports world right now. Um, the Rangers make a huge trade for Patrick Kane, uh, losing their debut last night. It's uh, Friday afternoon. I'm recording this right now. Uh, Thursday night, I believe they lost to the Senators 5-3. to three. Um, They had the lead. They were the betting favorite at one point. And then, uh, quite frankly, I did not watch the end of the game. Uh, but I do know that they lost uh, a couple of my work buddies were at the game and they had told me that they might not go back uh, because they were sold that they, the Rangers would definitely pull that one off. You know, again, Kane's debut Rangers already hot going into that game. Um, definitely, definitely one the Rangers would have liked to have won, obviously, but uh, there will be much more and there are much bigger fish to fry for the Rangers on the horizon. Um, and speaking of bigger fish, fish to fry, you cannot forget about the Knicks and where this collision course they are on is going. Looks like it is going to lead. Uh, I'll take you back to the summer when Donovan Mitchell was the biggest name uh, on the free agent market, and every tie led them to the Knicks, uh, myself included. Obviously, they would have have had to make a trade for. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, and it would have been a a big package for the to get. It definitely would have had to include RJ and multiple multiple picks. Um, we've debated on this show uh, myself, McFeely, Brandon, uh, and anyone else who's been on the show. We've probably spoken about uh, our thoughts about that situation. And kind of right now, the Knicks are arguably you know the second best team in the NBA. Very, very arguably right now. Uh, the Bucks have won, I think it's like 16 in a row, so they're clear-cut the number one. But, you know, since the All-Star break, I believe that was eight in a row last night for the Knicks or seven in a row. Uh, whatever it was, they're doing it. Uh, and I feel like as a Knicks fan, someone that watches all the games, every win seems to get more and more impressive where, you know, yes, they beat the Celtics, no Jalen Brown. Still, I think the Celtics are still a good team without Jalen Brown. Uh, then they go and make an absolute statement against the Nets, who sh- really didn't even belong in the same court as the Knicks that night. Uh, they just an absolute trounce by them. Um, one forty-two to one eighteen final score. That was on Wednesday. Um, they beat the Celtics on Monday. Pelicans on Saturday. Wizards, Hawks, Nets again. Jazz. The last game they lost was February tenth. Uh, almost a month ago, uh, to the Sixers in a in a very close game in in itself. Uh, the Knicks are look the Knicks are on fire, and I think that the there's a couple key reasons for that, and I think they all kind of are happening together. For one, I'll say this, and kind of where I wanted to lead from the Donovan Mitchell take uh, or topic, Jalen Brunson is worth every penny and then some, and I think every time he takes the floor. Uh, he's kind of just maybe he plays with a chip on his shoulder, you can say, but um, yeah, just an unbelievable performance from Jalen Brunson. Uh, I mean, just dominated the Nets. Uh, thirty-nine points, I believe he had thirty at half, facilitating, getting other guys involved, and 
Uh, I was listening to a podcast earlier, you know, kind of doing what I'm doing right now and just being enamored with the Knicks. And they they kind of pointed to the fact that not only is Jalen Brunson just a good overall player, but, you know, skill-wise, but, you know, his mind for the game. And he does this thing that I've actually sort of noticed as well, where he's very good at distributing, yes, but he's very good at, like, finding when guys need a shot. So, you know, if RJ goes and misses two in a row, you know, maybe lay off of him for a possession or two. And then if you see, if you think you need RJ to kind of score, you think he can expose a matchup that he, he has, uh, offensive versus defensive, then he gives him the ball. And I think that he's been very good at delegating. I'll say that he's a very good delegator in an offense, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, he knows when to pick his spots, when to give it to Randall for iso ball. He knows when to attack and try and draw a foul. He's very good at getting into the lane and getting that kind of like bump stop foul that a lot of guards have in their uh, repertoire now. Uh, Jalen Brunson is everything. Uh, I think in the beginning of the year, the big rhetoric around him was that he was the Knicks may have overpaid uh, as like a you know their last ditch effort to kind of recoup a point guard this offseason when they swung a miss on Donovan Mitchell. Um, and now, funny enough, we're way more than halfway through the season, almost three quarters of the way through the season. And I think the storyline right now is Jalen Brunson could be one of the better contracts in the NBA. Uh, I mean, he his impact on the team is uh, kind of just for what I just drew out there. Not only that, but he, you know, you always see him taking the charge. I always, I think he's like you know a top ten uh, in the league in terms of charges taken. Um, but yeah, I mean the intangibles too. He just checks every box for me. I'm completely sold on uh, Jalen Brunson, and then kind of as a snowball effect and where why I think the Knicks are really here. Uh, two more reasons: Mitchell Robinson comes back. He's the anchor in the defense. Where you know Jalen Brunson undersized, sure. Uh, R.J. Barrett maybe not the best defender, and you know those guys definitely can in a in a guard driven league. Those two guys are going to be guarding a lot of guards. Uh, a lot of talented guards, you know, guys like Donovan Mitchell, guys like uh, James Harden, you know, go through the entire league. That's really just the two that came to mind in the East, but Tatum, Brown, you got some tough matchups on defense. And I think that not to say that they're, uh, you know, incompetent on defense, but I think that when you have an anchor like Mitchell Robinson behind you, it kind of lets you play a little bit different. Like I, I liken it to football, right? Where you're playing zero coverage with no one behind you, you're scared that you're going to get beat deep. Whereas if you have a safety behind you, Mitchell Robinson being the safety, you can kind of play a little bit up more and trust that the guy behind you is going to going to be able to kind of recover from any sort of uh, mistake or blunder that you have. And I think that Mitchell Robinson does that for this Knicks defense. And not only that, obviously his defensive prowess has been a, a talking point since he joined the league, but the he I think he's literally missed like one shot since the All Star break, and he, albeit he's dunking, you know, ninety five percent of the time is his shots are within you know point blank range of the rim. But hey, efficiency definitely matters, um, and he's been arguably the most efficient player on the Knicks uh, this entire year, even kind of if you want to get technical, but. Um, yeah, Mitchell Robinson, huge to be back. Although I, I will say my concern is a you know true blue Nick fan. You know, how long can he can he stay healthy? Uh, that's really going to be the question because it's always an ankle. It's always something with Mitchell Robinson. He's a long, lanky guy with you know not he can hold his own. He doesn't get bullied. He's not a small guy, but he uh, definitely definitely more of on, on the thinner, lankier side than uh, you know someone like a Vucevic who's or a Brook Lopez who are just built and strong uh, upper bodies. Um, Definitely another another reason or another contributor to the snowball, the Josh Hart trade. I think he brings an intangible to this team that 
uh, is nothing really can quantify it. I guess a lot of people will point to his rebounds and some hustle stats. Uh, he's a hustler. He's a grinder. He'll knock down a shot. He, you know, he doesn't overshoot either. Where I see a lot of times where, if the shot's not there, he has no problem driving and kicking. And I think that in an offense where you have guys like Jalen Brunson and you have guys like Julius Randle who just participated in three-point contests, you know, think of that what you want. Definitely a having a, a better three-point season than majority of his career, I'd say uh, Julius Randle is. But RJ and then the emergence of quickly on offense and defense, Quentin Grimes. This is a this is a deep team, and I think that you know if you polled a lot of the teams in the East, maybe not the Bucks. Obviously, I think they're Bucks or the Celtics. I think are like a a head a head and heels or head and shoulders over uh, the Knicks right now. But I, I think a lot of teams would say that they kind of don't want to match up with the Knicks. They're very a very volatile team. They can get hot. They got you know Randall gets hot, Brunson gets hot. Uh, Josh Hart gets hot. You know, they got guys that, that can, it, you know, if, if the situation presents itself, can really, really cause problems for another team. And, I, you know, it's going to be exciting to watch. As an, Again, as a Nick fan, I'm kind of just waiting for something terrible to happen. Just I guess I'm just conditioned to, to be that way. But, um, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to ride the wave as long as it goes. So, uh, you know, the Knicks, I, I've been very critical of Tom Thibodeau. I think that... Uh, I still am kind of skeptical on the fact that, uh, you know, they're a very, very defensive-oriented team. Although their offense has been very, very efficient of late, but I think to their core, they're a defensive team, and I'm kind of a little skeptical about how that's going to play out in the playoffs, presuming they get there, which I think right now you have to bet and have to guess that they belong and will be in the playoffs uh, down the line, but... Yeah, uh, the Knicks are the Knicks are fun to watch, and I think you know for a long first time in a long time I get excited to watch Nick games, um, and even the Nick game that was a blowout. And I'll say this about the Nets: I'm not going to spend too long. We've obviously devoted much of this basketball season to Nets storylines, but I think that the Nets, you know, they're a fun team. They have a they have some good players. Uh, they they ran into they've had a tough schedule of late. I mean the the Hawks are playing pretty good basketball. The Bucks are on fire, and then they lose to the Knicks, who are also on fire. They played the you know two of the best teams in the East or in the NBA right now currently uh, in their last two games. So hard to really judge what they are, but you know I think they'll get there. I don't think they get there meaning the playoffs. I I think I can't see this team. I think this team is too talented to have such a crazy fall off out of the playoffs or even a play in tournament. Um, I think there's just, you know, guys like Mikhail Bridges and Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick Claxton. Uh, they, they have some talented guys in the roster that are young and budding, I'd say, uh, at the right time. So we'll we'll see what they do. Uh, obviously, a very lackluster performance against the, against the Knicks. I think the Knicks definitely wanted to make a statement with that game, uh, for sure. I mean, you put up 140, and I think Jalen Brunson was in until the very end of the game. Uh, it, was a, it was a route, for sure, but... Uh, I'm still high on the Nets. I think they the the deal was in the right uh, was the right thing for the franchise, uh, given everything they had given up, and they were able to recoup some of that and then some. Um, but yeah, I, again, I, very very passively watching the Nets the rest of the season, um, just like very passively watching a lot of baseball games in a lot shorter amount of time. I'll say. Uh, I'm watching the Yankee game yesterday, just spring training with the new rules and stuff. And look, I'll, I'll say this, these games are flying by. I mean, people can, you know, put some numbers to it, 
uh, you know, the total length of game. But, you know, I watched Wandy Peralta throw a 20-second at-bat yesterday, an at, a whole at-bat yesterday in 20 seconds. Uh, incredible. I, you know, I think uh, Max Scherzer summed it up best when he says that, you know, this gives the pitchers, the pitch clock talking about, gives the pitchers uh, the ability to dictate the pace of the game. Yeah, you know, if they want to throw the ball, you know, very quickly, they can. If they want to wait till their last second, that last second to start the windup, they can. Uh, I'm, it'd be curious to see how that affects hitters' timing. Um, but just as a, as a whole, I mean, the game, you just, it's impossible to watch a game and kind of like, think it's like the same game as last year. I mean, I'm watching the ESPN broadcast of the Yankee game where they're miking people up every inning. And I promise every single time they had someone, you know, they must have had someone scheduled for an inning at a time. And almost every time they said, hey, you want to stay around for like the bottom half of the inning? And just because the game was just moving too quick. Uh, The Yankees' first inning, the first inning, you know, wire-to-wire, real-time first inning the other day. I was watching it just... First inning, I wanted to see the starting pitcher. I think it was uh, Domingo throwing. Nine minutes, the whole inning. Bottom, top and bottom. Commercials included nine real minutes. That's incredible. Uh, I think the pace is going to be, it's going to make the game much faster and much more attractive to people. You know, honestly, Michael K brought up a good point yesterday that I kind of, no, I don't feel bad for broadcasters, but it's going to be a tough spot for broadcasters because, you know, there's not going to be a lot of room to be talking. You got 20 seconds in between pitches where I remember watching a Vince Scully clips of him telling, going on, you know, 10-minute monologues between pitches. Uh, you know, love Vince Scully, rest in peace. But I think it, it would be hard for someone like Vince Scully to adjust. I'll even say John Sterling, Susan Wallman on the radio for the Yankees. It's going to be a definitely a big adjustment period uh, going forward for them and how to call games uh, for sure. Um, as far as the other rules... Uh, I think base stealing definitely will be up given the the larger bases. I saw Estevan Floreal steal third yesterday. Um, that could definitely be something that's definitely up. Um, I'm curious to see how the pitch clock uh, dictates some sort of runner timing. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure that just given the way baseball is, I'm sure that, you know, five years down the road, if we're sticking with this pitch clock, there's going to be stats of like, okay, Max Scherzer likes to throw the ball 90% of the time between, you know, eight and seven seconds. So as a runner, you kind of got to look at that and say, you know, maybe I can get a little, a small little shoulder length head start on my jump. If I, if I have those sort of numbers in front of me, um, uh, definitely there's so many different angles to take on this. Um, I'll start with the Mets, kind of uh, just getting into the weeds of some of the spring training performances. Um, you know, kind of ho-hum for the Mets. I think everyone expects them to be, uh, you know, at the top of their division, at the top of the baseball power rankings year in and year or sorry, month in and month out this season. But, uh, I mean, one note that I, I saw that I saw some people on Met Twitter kind of getting a little concerned. Not really concerned, but almost, you know, very trepidatious, I'll say. Uh, Quintana gets absolutely shelled in his first outing. Uh, but you know, don't worry. It's very, very possible that, uh, a lot of these guys are working on different pitches and different pitch sequences, just, you know, trying stuff out maybe mechanically, very slight or subtly that we're not even noticing to kind of the naked and full speed eye. Um, don't, I wouldn't, especially pitchers. I wouldn't really worry too much about, you know, their performance numbers wise per se. Uh, I know, I mean, I'm watching, uh, you know, even Wandy Peralta yesterday, again, he threw a quick inning. Sure, look, played very or pitched very well in his short stint there, but uh, he was up to 95, 96. And I was like, wow, you know, Wandy, like, obviously, your arm's fresh. Uh, season hasn't even begun yet, but 
uh, Wani hitting, you know, upper upper 90s would be really, really nice. I mean, I saw it with the adrenaline-filled playoffs, but if he can get there consistently like he was uh, yesterday out, I think it was yesterday or, or Wednesday, whenever it was, uh, it'll be a plus. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. Uh, I can really only speak for the Yankees' side of it because, again, I'm watching Yankee spring training, not really paying too close attention to Mets spring training uh, right now. Um and I think that one one thing to look for that I've been watching or definitely been watching for in Yankee spring training, this shortstop battle, I think the more I think about it and the more I kind of like see quotes from it, uh, this is a real battle. I think that, you know, yesterday it comes out that Boone said that um, IKF could see time in the outfield. IKF could see time at second base. They have, uh, I think I believe it was, you know, many different roles was the quote for IKF, um, his usage. And, you know, take, take that as you may. I think, you know, a lot of Yankee fans know that IKF is actually like the the super emergency backup catcher uh, for the Yankees, where I think he's caught like three years ago in an MLB game. But uh, he plays he's played the outfield in MLB games before. Uh, obviously, he won a gold glove at third base, I believe, in the pandemic bubble year, we'll say. Um, definitely, definitely a, a good guy to have on a team, given his versatility. Do do I want him as my starting shortstop? That I I you know I can't really say. I I do think he's gotten a fair an unfair kind of evaluation from Yankee fans, and uh, I think that you know if you have a guy that's hitting you two sixty and you know he's getting on base at a decent clip, uh, he's playing you know solid defense, solid I'll say average defense. It's not a it's not the worst thing in the world. It could be much worse. I I think for one I think you know the the Glaber Torres shortstop. Uh, experiment went much worse than this IKF shortstop experience has gone this far. Uh, I mean, that to some people, that might be comparing two guys who are just not good at the position. Uh, but to me, I think they're both kind of average at the position, I'll say. so. Uh, but again, I think the Yankees have a guy in their roster who's going to make it really hard to ha- not have him on the roster. Uh, right now, Anthony Volpe leads off the game yesterday with a home run. Uh, everyone in camp, you know, Nick Swisher, I heard a story of him saying like, this guy's really got it. Uh, even Josh Donaldson, I think there was a story during the game. I think someone said, uh, one of the broadcasters, maybe Tim Kirchett said, um, in the game, uh, or in practice, you know, Donaldson's at third base and Volpe's up to hit and Volpe, or he gets, obviously Volpe's just kind of free swinging and Donaldson looks over to the, to the, to the bench and goes like, this guy's got it. And, you know, to hear a guy like Donaldson, obviously I'm very against Josh Donaldson as a, as a player right now, but someone of his caliber, you know, former MVP, uh, veteran player in the league who's, you know, very, very talented in his heyday. To say that about someone, uh, you know, is, is very high regard. So I think that this is – there's a couple things that go into it, though. Uh, I think the Yankees really do love IKF. Uh, he provides them. They've backed him up countless, countless times. Uh, you know, I'm kind of, I was kind of in that boat to begin with. I thought he got an unfair shake, like I said. But, uh, you know, the more I see him, uh, he even made a throw. Like, I just think he has a very weak arm for shortstop. I almost feel like he might be better suited for uh, second base better. Uh, he's not the not the rangiest, but I think he's uh, he's quick. He's got good instincts, definitely, but um, I just think his arm is definitely a little suspect. Uh, he did put on some weight, so maybe he's got some more uh, power behind the arm. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be hard to leave Volpe off this roster. Uh, and not to discount, you know, Oswald Peraza either. 
Peraza is having a good camp, uh, according to all reports. He played very well at the end of the year last year. Kind of surprised a lot of uh, people in Yankee world and how well or how long or he's come down the uh, prospect road, I'll say. Uh, but I think Volpe is going to be a stud. I really do. I- I'm sold on it. He, I, he he looks like he's got the speed. He's got the he's play. He made a couple of nice plays on defense. He obviously can hit for power. Uh, I think he had like two singles and two straight at bats on like two pitches or something like that. And, you know, two spring training games ago. But um, the problem is uh, kind of in lies the next point I wanted to make. He's not on the 40 man roster currently. And what that means is in order to add him to the 40 man roster, someone's got to come off, uh, whether that be via, you know, just releasing someone or a trade or uh, utilizing some sort of option. I believe you can, I think you can option off the 40 man. I'm not really sure about the technicalities of MLB roster uh, maneuvering, but uh, something will have to be done. Someone will get the short end of the stick if they deem Volpe uh, ready to be on the the 40 man roster for opening day. Or uh, a lot of Yankee fans I see on Twitter are talking about how the Yankees love uh, control time manipulation. I think there's like, I again, don't know the specifics of this very high level baseball contractual stuff here, but uh, there's a point in the MLB season where uh, you can bring up guys and it's not considered service time or full service time. uh, Whereas that allows the team to keep a player for an extra year of service time. So a lot of Yankee fans are thinking like, you know, Oh, maybe they bring him up like one day after that service date so they can control him for another year. They've done that in the past. Uh, Definitely wouldn't put it past them, but uh, with this new Gavin Lux injury in Los Angeles for the Dodgers, the Yankees have three very MLB viable shortstops, if not MLB viable, very, very close to MLB viable shortstops on their roster right now. And to me, how do you not call the Dodgers? I mean, even if it's just you get a relief pitcher back or a prospect or even if it just makes your decision a little easier. Uh, not, and again, not necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be trading them IKF. To, if I had to choose, would I trade them IKF over the other two, Peraza and Volpe? Oh, easily. But again, depends on what you get back. Maybe they can give you a piece back that you feel helps. Uh, you know, Yankees just lose Frankie Montas for the year. Maybe the Yankees kind of dip into some of the Dodgers' uh, well-known pitching depth and try and, you know, acquire a fifth starter from them uh, just for, like, the time being. A one-year guy could be a veteran. I don't know. Uh, I've seen Cashman, we've all seen Cashman get creative with, uh, how he maneuvers transactions. So definitely not going to put anything by them. Uh, but I think that it would be in of the Yankees best interest for many reasons to kind of call the Dodgers and just see where they're at and see, see what they evaluate uh, the Yankees. You know, the Yankees have given them some of their castaways in the past. Uh, hint, hint, Joey Gallo, uh, you know, just some other guys here and there, but um, yeah, I think that the Yankees are, the Yankees are in a good spot. I think it's, to have an embarrassment of riches is a good thing. Uh, that's just how I'll always look at it. So, um, I'm Team Volpe. That's what I'm gonna. I'm just gonna put that into air right now. Um, and then hard transition over again. No co-host. Really hard for me to kind of, you know, move over to different topics very easily. But uh, some new stuff coming out of the Jets quarterback uh, search. I'll say or frenzy even. Um, Zach Rosenblatt uh, covers the athletic for the Jets said uh, in an article just this morning, uh, quote, I hear that the Jets are willing to wait out Rodgers. Nobody really knows what Rodgers is thinking about his future, even after he spoke about it on a podcast this week, Pat McAfee show. 
the first public comment since going on a four-day darkness retreat. And kind of I've been in this camp the whole time where it's like when Rogers came out, I believe, a couple weeks ago, obviously before the darkness retreat, saying like, oh, you know, no one really knows like what I'm what I'm doing or, you know, no one really knows me because all the people in my circle aren't affiliated with people that are reporting. I kind of, you know, you can call him whatever you want for that, but I kind of believe him. Like, I think that he had, does have a very tight knit group of people. And I think it's very true that a lot, no one really knows what he wants to do. I'm not even sure if he knows what he wants to do yet. Um, I think he's going to take this down to, you know, the final hour here. I think he, he likes the fact that he's the big headline here. And he likes the fact that you know, if his market uh, needed to increase anymore, it, it definitely has. I believe I saw the Panthers and the Saints uh, are kind of in, in cahoots with Rodgers as well. Just opening up the playing field, obviously adding more uh, intrigue into the whole Derek Carr situation for the Jets perspective. Um, and I think the Jets really do believe that with Carr and with or with Carr or with Rodgers, they are a Super Bowl contender in their eyes. Do I think that? I don't. But uh, just given their roster construction and some of the stuff that they've said, uh, they definitely do believe that they can compete with either one. However, like I said, or like Zach mentioned in his uh, in his article, uh, they're willing to wait. And I think that the only, I guess, the nightmare scenario is you start seeing quarterbacks not named Aaron Rodgers fly off the board to not Aaron Rodgers' ideal spots. Uh, like, for instance, if you see Derek Carr go to, I don't know, you know, a team that really hasn't been linked to Rodgers, I think that could be uh, – that's not good for the Jets. It won't bode well. Um, I think that will be time to sound the alarms. Um, but, I, look, as a Jet fan, I think I, anything is an upgrade. So it's really tough for me to, you know, sit here and split hairs and pick and choose, you know, who I want. I kind of talk myself more into Carr every day. Uh, I kind of like his attitude for the game. I think he had some some bad situations over there in uh, with the Raiders. Um, and I think it would be quite the storyline for the NFL – if Rodgers ends up not only in Las Vegas, which is their new expansion and newest stadium, but back with his uh, his favorite receiver and I'd argue one of the best you know tandems of all time in Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, I think that makes them a very viable offense, a very viable team. And then I think it would be pretty cool to see you know that happen in Las Vegas, and then Derek Carr, the former Las Vegas quarterback, come over to the Jets in almost a one for one trade. I think that would be uh, very ironic. Um, but uh, and I, I obviously wouldn't hate that. That's I think a lot of Jeff fans would sign for that right now. They think that would be fine. Obviously, getting uh, Rogers, you know, to Vegas wouldn't be the f- the favorite thing for Jeff fans. But hey, you're already you're already deep in the Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and Patrick Mahomes uh, field. So you know, it, it can't get much harder than that, I guess. Um, but and on the other side of town, I guess the last thing I'll really go over today, uh, Giants. Uh, mercifully, I'll say, release Kenny Galladay. Uh, I think he had 32 catches for a total of like $43 million or something to that extent. Just that, you know, one of the worst contracts in all of football history, uh, maybe even sports history. Uh, really just a nothing burger from the beginning. Uh, be curious to see, you know, where he lands. I'm going to assume he, someone gives him a shot. Obviously not for remotely the money that he was making with the Giants, but um uh, I think the Giants definitely have some bigger problems on their hands, or maybe maybe not problems, but uh, a conundrum, <laughs> like I love to say. But uh, yeah, I, apparently Jones, I saw a report this morning from Dove Kleiman that uh, apparently he could want more than $45 million, which 
Look, at that point, Daniel Jones and the Giants, I think there might have to be a little separation there because that's just to, – to, to pay Daniel Jones $45 million after, quite frankly, like – getting embarrassed to the Eagles and, you know, not even proving that he's not even on the same level as Jalen Hurts twice. Uh, remember in the regular season when they got trounced as well. Uh, that is, I, there's a line there for sure. And I think 45 is way above my line if I'm a, if I'm a Giant fan. So, uh, and also, you know, you can, uh, you can only franchise tag one guy. So if you franchise tag Jones and don't come to an agreement, See you later, Barkley. Uh, and the only way you sign Barkley or franchise tag Barkley is if you just sign, straight out sign Jones. So uh, I, I think if I had to bet on it, I think that the Giants uh, will sign Jones and tag Barkley. Uh, not to his pleasure, I'll say, Barkley's pleasure. But look, I think it's just what the Jet, the Giants are going to have to do. I th- I still think that they should just buck up and, and you know sit them both down and say, look, we're, we're better when we have both of you, so let's kind of work something out for all three of us to work. Um, but I, I think that it bodes well for the for the Giants and Giant fans that uh, the front office still remains kind of confident and never really faltered past uh, the fact that Jones is their guy. Uh, actually, Joe Shane literally this, this week, quote verbatim, said, no doubt Jones is the guy. Uh, not anything related to any contract talk, but... You know, they, they, the Giants are proceeding as if Daniel Jones is their quarterback and everything else just seems to be, you know, on paper or off-field stuff to agree to. But uh, a lot to be a lot to be seen. We could – there's going to be a time in a few months where uh, we could have Knicks and Nets playoff games, Rangers, Devils playoffs, possibly playing each other, uh, Yankees, Mets starting up, both with very high hopes themselves. Um it's uh, what a time to be a New York fan. And uh, again, if you reach it, this, if you reach this far, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to uh, my solo here. Haven't done this in a while. Definitely, definitely think I should do it a little bit more often. I should say I kind of had a little fun here, but um, thank you for everyone who listens, everyone that follows. And as always, peace out. <laughs>